This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometers of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool center, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, great to have your company as we roll in now to Sports Day WA. Great to have your company. We're here for the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and Tormart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. As we mentioned, uh, the Clayton Oliver story is the big story for the good oil for Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. And uh, as we said, uh, we spoke to... Tom Morris actually on the program a bit earlier on, uh, on the run home, and he gave us his thoughts on where it's all going to sit. And then Theo Deropoulos, who works for Channel 7 in Adelaide, says that uh, Adelaide now are lining up, and it appears that Clayton Oliver, with all the dialogue in the last 24 to 48 hours, has expressed an interest as possibly going to Adelaide. It just depends what sort of deal and what will be presented to acquire his services. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Some other breaking news is around WA footy youngster uh, in the fact that Dan Curtin, who's the likely top two pick behind Harley Reid, Dan won't be participating in the AFL draft combine due to a hamstring strain. So there's a bit of uh, breaking news there around a, a gun WA football star. I don't think it'll change anything, but the fact that he won't be under the microscope there at the AFL Draft Combine. Speaking about Clayton Oliver and just going back to that, this is what he said to Channel 7 on grand final day. Let's have a listen to this. It was a little bit frustrating on my behalf and I probably didn't handle it the way I should have. Um, but yeah, the, the team at Melbourne and the medical staff are unbelievable. So that was one of the supposed uh, details that upset the management and the coaching staff at the Melbourne Football Club. Uh, As we know, he's been an outstanding footballer for Melbourne. And the fact that he's a four-time best and fairest winner at the club, a premiership player, he signed that seven-year deal worth about $7 million with the Demons right through until 2013. And... I know that Gary Lyons spoke to him this morning and he said on his program he's horrified at the thought that uh, the Demons would even consider trading Oliver, but it certainly has got a bit of uh, momentum during the course of the day. Now, he's been extremely durable in his career so far. He's only 26. He missed 10 games this season with that niggling hamstring injury and there are now reports of a real disconnect between Oliver and the Demons. And it appears that some people at the club thought that he certainly mishandled uh, the significance of his injury and he lacked maturity in trying to get him over, well, get over that injury. And the club felt he wasn't professional enough with his rehab. And I suppose the truth is probably somewhere in between that and what uh, 
Oliver had to say, Clayton Oliver had to say regarding, you know, doing doing quite a bit to make sure that he gets uh, right for next season. But there is certainly a disconnect and looks like uh, at this stage he's on his way out of the club. And it appears early on that Adelaide is a likely destination. We'll have more on that a bit later on for Cobram Estate. Australia's most uh, awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. All right, it's coming up uh, three minutes past five. On the program today, we're going to focus on the World Cup of Cricket, the ODI series, the 50-over-a-side competition that gets underway in India tomorrow. Australia's first game is against the host nation, and that is on Sunday. But it's going to be a good tournament, and as we know, the Australians have been warming up with a series of matches in South Africa, and then they got on the big bird and ended up uh, on the subcontinent in India, where last night, of course, they played Pakistan in a warm-up game. So they've had quite a few warm-up matches, have the Australian, and a man that is right on the ground there in India, ahead of the start of the World Cup, is Bharat Sandarasan, SEN cricket uh, commentator and Crick Info writer, and he's right across everything. Barat, lovely to reconnect with you again. It has been a while, and it is always lovely to talk to you. And you're right, I am in hot and humid Chennai. I just got out and I said, oh, no, I need at least three fewer layers of clothing on me. <laughs> it's always very oppressive in Chennai, isn't it? Uh, it's one of the hottest cities in India. It is. And I think what happens with Chennai as well is the extreme humidity. Uh, and it's almost, and uh, just to quote my wife, uh, she would always say when you land in Chennai and you get out, it almost feels like you're putting your head in uh, some custard. And that's, that's how thick the air is. Um, and which is what, ma- which is what makes, uh, you know, just uh, walking around difficult, uh, for, you know, and the, which is what makes, Playing cricket even more challenging, and yeah. uh, you know it'll be it will be a hot and humid day on Sunday when India take on Australia. It's going to be a fascinating tournament, uh, as we know. A lot of people thinking that the uh, fifty over a side competition has sort of waned a bit uh, and is in the shadow of maybe the T Twenty and of course Test cricket. But when it comes to a World Cup, to me this is far more worthy of an honour of being world champions and maybe the T20 World Cup because it's 50 over a side, there's ebbs and flows, mm. you've got to be more tactically astute and you've got to make the right decision over an extended period of time. Would you agree that this is probably more worthy of being a champion than the T20 World Cup? Uh, and also it's held once every four years, unlike the T20 World Cup, which now or in the last 10 years or so uh, is held every two years. I mean, it makes sense as well because it's the rate at which T20 cricket transforms uh, and the way teams play it. Uh, but but you're right. I think if you ask any of the players and, uh, you know, uh, you just say World Cup, it is the 50-over World Cup that will come to mind or they'll want to talk about uh, at, at the outset. I mean, no, not to take away anything from... Uh, Australia and England, who won the last two T20 World Cups. Uh, but, you know, after a point, you kind of lose track of who did what in the, in the shortest format uh, of international cricket. But, but you're right. I think this will come, always comes with that extra honour. And I think the format works as well. Everybody has to play everybody. And to get into that semi-finals, uh, we have to overcome most opposition and every kind of, uh, of condition and every kind of challenge that's posed to you. So it's fair that the four teams who will make the semifinals would have overcome all that. So it's a, as a format, it works as well. Yeah, no, interesting. So looking at Australia, I was talking to Jimmy, my producer, actually, 
It's going to be. It's been a tough preparation for Australia. They've been in South Africa, where they played, of course, limited overs cricket. There, uh, they started well, of course, winning the first two and then losing the next three. And they lost the first two matches in India when they arrived, and and they've finished that series. And they played Pakistan last night. I reckon there's a bit of wear and tear. Are the Aussies fresh? Are they ready for another month and a bit of intense? one-day World Cup cricket, because for mine, I reckon they're probably a bit jaded because they've been away for a long time. I mean, they have been away for a long time, for sure. And, uh, you know, they've been away for so long that some of the players have had the opportunity to get into form, then lose form, and then regain the form. Um, And, uh, you know, but having said that, I guess because it's 50-over cricket, and a lot of them haven't played a lot of 50-over cricket consistently uh, or for a regular period of time, like used to be back in the uh, back in the day, uh, I think a lot of them would not mind just getting uh, those miles under their feet. Uh, because, like you said, it, it is a much longer format than people uh, assume it to be. And it's even become clearer since T20 cricket became the norm, uh, where to, to win a 50-over match, you need to be out there for a long period and in terms of your mental preparation and your physical preparation, uh, and especially in some of these really oppressive uh, venues that they will be playing uh, their cricket. They'll have to travel all around India. Um, I think uh, rather than them being jaded, I almost feel like they have got the best chance to get acclimatized to uh, what they will face during the World Cup as compared to some of the other teams, like even England, who start as the favourites for a lot of people, um, or even South Africa. So just being in India, getting used to India, uh, could well work wonders. And the direct comparison I will draw is to the, them in the T20 World Cup in 2021, when they played a lot of matches, they lost a quite a, lost quite a few games as well, but eventually just felt like everything came together. And that's what the Australian team would be hoping for again. Yes, they play nine matches in 35 days in eight different cities, and they'll travel over 7,000 mm. kilometres between venues. So they'll certainly be on the move. Is that the norm for most of the nations that they will be playing in multiple cities? I know they played in Hyderabad last night in that one up match against Pakistan but is there just a lot of travelling associated with this tournament for most nations? Uh, Yeah there will be and I think the team that will travel the most uh, will be India themselves I think they end up travelling around 12,000 kilometres overall by the end uh, because they they don't even get the opportunity to play back-to-back games in the same venue like uh, most other teams do. Uh, Australia, like we said, are in Chennai right now, but we head to Lucknow after this game and they play South Africa and Sri Lanka uh, in, in the space of four days in Lucknow. So I don't think the Indian team gets that luxury, being the host. Uh, so I mean, but that's just the format of the tournament. They want to spread it around uh, to different parts of India. And as we uh, really well know, India is a country on paper, it's, but it's almost like travelling all around Europe to get from one avenue to the other, where everything changes. Uh, from not just in terms of the cricket, but everything else. So, uh, it, like, whoever does survive till the end and wins the trophy would... Uh, I wouldn't see more deserved winners of a World Cup in any sport, I'd say. Certainly a bonus last night looking at the practice game or the warm-up game against Pakistan was the form of Glenn Maxwell, who has promised so much yeah. over a number of years, but uh, he showed last night what he can deliver in this form of the game. Oh, very much so. Uh, and, you know, also coming off that ankle injury, uh, which he's still testing out, 
you know, he, uh, George Bailey, the chief selector, has said they might have to put him in safer positions of the field uh, because you're just not sure. He played only two ODIs in the last 12 months. There was a foot injury at the end of last year as well, don't forget. Uh, but yeah, he batted as well as Glenn Maxwell has batted in a long time. He looked at his best. Uh, but also his bowling. He bowled those 10 overs for those wickets against India uh, a, a few days ago. But even last night, uh, you know, before the game, kind of turned farcical and you saw Steve Smith and David Warner bowling in tandem. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Glenn Maxwell got a wicket early on, but I thought he came back well with the ball as well. But the runs he got, you're right. Uh, I mean, which is what they were really looking for from this warm-up. Uh, mainly Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins with the ball and Glenn Maxwell with the bat. So uh, they have all boxes ticked and no wonder that game kind of went in that way once Australia realised, you know what, we've got what we wanted from this warm-up game. Yeah, interesting also Mitchell Stark, uh, even though it was just the Netherlands, they've got to get wickets and he took that hat-trick uh, in the previous uh, warm-up yeah. game against the Netherlands. Uh, they take on India in what's going to be a huge match on Sunday in the opening match for both Australia and the host nation. What sort of makeup do you think Australia will provide and what uh, do you think will be the starting eleven? Was uh, No doubt some of the players that played last night won't be playing uh, in the match on Sunday. Uh, I think the big um, uh, development, if uh, you want to call it, in the last few days with this Australian, the makeup of this Australian playing eleven uh, is Manas Labuschagne, and just the way he's been batting. So there's always been the criticism that oh, you know, he doesn't bat at the tempo that 50-over cricket is played at these days. But he's shown both in South Africa and in India the last month and a half or the last month uh, that he can do that. I mean, he's starting on fourth gear and then still maintaining it as his innings develops. Uh, and he's almost become undroppable. And he bowled a bit of leg spin as well. He ended up with three wickets. But I think just getting him to bowl leg spin again, he doesn't do that as regularly as he used to, is a great sign which kind of tells me that uh, you'll have Marsh, Warner, Smith and Manas at the top. Mm. And then the big question is which of the two big all-rounders you play in, Stoinis or Green? Because after that, you know there will be Alex Carey, Glenn Maxwell, and in all likelihood, um, Zampa and the three big fast bowlers. So I think the only question mark, from my opinion, would be, would, do you play Stoinis, who has been inconsistent with the ball, but really effective with the ball? Or do you play Cam Green, who's uh, kind of blown hot and cold with both bat and ball uh, in this format in the last month? So apart from that, I don't see Australia having too many other question marks. But look, there are still three, four days for that World Cup game. So we'll see. And I'll be at training, of course, and keeping an eye on them. Good on you, Barat. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, just before we let you go, uh, the tournament gets underway, as we know, tomorrow. Who, in your eyes, are the two maybe favourites that we could see in the final come the middle of November? Yeah, look, I mean, everybody has just said that India and England will play the final. Uh, you know, there just seems to be this uh, uh, consensus among a lot of people. But this is me sticking my neck out and saying whether that happens or not, I think New Zealand are going to beat England tomorrow. It's just set up for a perfect New Zealand win. That whole narrative, New Zealand get it back for what was taken away from them four years ago. I can just see it plain and clear in front of my eyes. <laughs> but <laughs> I think India and England are favourites, but Australia are Australia in a World Cup. And I do think they have a really good team for these conditions to go all the way. Uh, the big question would be the fourth team. Could it be Pakistan? Could it be South Africa? Who could well be playing the last major tournament as a full nation in the terms of having all their players available? Uh, so it could be any of them. I don't rule out a Sri Lanka or a Pakistan either. But... Yeah, I'm not going to go with an India-England final just because I want to be contrary. I'm going to say Australia are going to play South Africa in the final. Oh, I would have thought of it. Oh, very happen, good. Uh, all right, we're going to keep in contact because you're a good man. You're right across everything. Barat, thanks for your time here on Sports Day WA and uh, enjoy the World Cup.
Anytime. Thank you so much. Have a lovely evening. Good on you, Brett. Send a race. And we've got some breaking news regarding a West Australian AFL footballer. I'll deliver that after the break here on Sports Day. Don't. Uh, Sports Day WA, don't go away. This is a big news story that's just broken. Yes, you can always uh, have chats with mates. Mate, fair dinkum internet without the fuss. Uh, and Barat Sandarason is our mate. And he gave us uh, the news of the World Cup, which gets underway tomorrow. And, of course, saw big coverage here on SENWA. We'll be right across it. And let's hope the Australians do well. Barat suggesting that Australia and South Africa may contest the World Cup final. So we'll see how he goes. And just repeating, uh, when it comes to mate, fair dinkum internet without the fuss, score a mobile deal as good as a Sam Kerr worldie with mate. Now, that big news story that I wanted to mention, all thanks to Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand, is that... West Australian Bulldog, Aaron Norton, has signed on with the Bulldogs from Mammoth. Get ready for this. Eight years. Eight years. So he will be a Bulldog until 2032. Just repeating. Aaron Norton has signed on with the Western Bulldogs from Mammoth eight years and now is set to be a Bulldog until 2032. That is a Lance Franklin type of deal. As we know, he's uh, known as the astronaut down there at the Western Bulldogs, and that is an absolute astronaut type of deal. He was born in Frankston, and he played his junior footy early in Frankston, uh, just around Melbourne uh, during Auskick years. But then... He grew up in Rockingham here in Western Australia before being drafted by the Western Bulldogs with their first selection and ninth overall in the 2017 National Draft. And he has now racked up about 123 games, kicked 191 goals for the Western Bulldogs. He's been their leading goal kicker uh, last season, 2023, and the season before 2022. So it is a huge deal. Uh, Only 23 years of age. Eight years will take him through till he's 31, bordering on 32. So just repeating that, uh, in fact, he turns 24 next month. So it's a deal that'll take him through till he's uh, 32. He's going to be with the Western Bulldogs until 2032. That's a big story regarding Aaron Norton. I'll tell you what was also interesting. A lot of talk regarding Don Pike and whether he will succeed Trevor Nisbet as the CEO of of the West Coast Eagles. Now, Damien Barrett, who's an investigative journalist and uh, does a bit, as we know, on TV uh, football programs as well, had this in relation to the next CEO of the West Coast Eagles. It's now becoming quite real that the next job that Don Pike might have, guys, is as CEO of the West Coast Eagles. Um, I do know that a recruiter for that particular role for the Eagles has officially reached out and has engaged in correspondence with Don and others. But I would uh, argue that it's Don's job to say no to if, if indeed he wants to get his own head around. So there you go. That's what Damien Barrett had to say regarding uh, Tom Pike. Now, Tim Taranto took out the fairest and best award for the Jack Dyer medal at Richmond. As we know, in recent times, uh, he 
wanted to speak about Damien Hardwick, who was his coach when he came over from GWS. Of course, Andrew McWalter was his coach for the most part of 2023 when Damien Hardwick decided to take a break from the game. This is what he had to say about two coaches and two men that were instrumental when he crossed over from the Giants to the Tigers. Uh, a few coaches. Uh, Dimmer, I mean, we are, our time was only uh, short-lived, but I do appreciate you um, for taking the time to get me to the club and, and learning off you for only a short time. Uh, Mini, I mean, I met you as my midfield coach at the start of the year, and um, you are one of the best blokes in footy, mate, and um, I wish you all the best. You've taught me so much, and you've welcomed me and my family so much. So, Mini, all the best, and I love you, mate. Yeah, and Minnie's on his way to Melbourne. <laughs> Probably to take Adam Uze's position. That's uh, what his nickname is, reportedly. Uh, McWalter. So uh, there you go, Mini. That's a bit of an update for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side -side brand. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to focus on a couple of other sports as well, including one of the biggest clubs in the world is having it uh, pretty tough at the moment. We'll touch on that after the break. And also, coming up in the second half hour of Sports Day WA, we're going to touch on Bathurst. That gets underway tomorrow. A four-day extravaganza on the mountain at Mount Panorama in Bathurst. It's practice tomorrow. A bit of controversy as well. There's some crisis meetings happening before the first uh, car goes out on the track tomorrow. We'll bring you up to date with that in this second half hour. We're here for Kia, the EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Of course, you can catch AFL Trade Radio daily here on the SEN Network, all brought to you by Continental Tyres. AFL Trade Radio updates uh, every day, and uh, we're right across it here on uh, Sports Day, the run home, sports breakfast, and, of course, the morning program as well. But let's update some more sport. Thanks to Irrigear, it's here to save time and water. They give us a Champions League update, and Manchester United are in all sorts of trouble to try and progress out of the group stage of this year's Champions League tournament. They are at home against uh, Turkish side Galatasaray and lost by three goals to two after twice being in front. Pointed to a lengthy list of injuries and absences as mitigation. He's urged his players to show the character to get out of the situation they're in. Here's Rashford making good ground and firing it in. That very much is a striker's goal from Hoyland. Just what Manchester United need. That is what they pay the big money for to bring him to the club. But it's all about Marcus Rashford's superb run and delivery. Celebrations tinged with relief from those on the Stratford end as United League Galatasaray won. Mr. Sanchez looking long this time. Dallo backpedaling, making a mess of it, and it's 1 1. And of course, it's Wilfred Zaha. The Manchester United old boy getting Galatasaray back on level terms. And boy, is he enjoying the moment. But it's 1-1. Both sides will feel that they're more than capable of winning this. Is this a moment for Hoyland? Look at his pace. Look at his poise. And look at the finish. It's the night that he's arrived at Old Trafford. Rasmus Hoyland with a goal in each half. 
Well, when he arrived at Old Trafford, he only scored 26 in his career. Barish Alpha playing it in, and it is 2 2. Lightning strikes twice. The first lead in lasted six minutes, the second one only four. Act Colo, Galatasaray star, ties it up at 2 2. Colo. Canonana make amends. Didn't have to. Davison Sanchez heading it forward. Amrabat has played Icardi onside. This time he does it. Old Trafford stunned. So that's how it happened last night. Manchester United, after two games, have yet to record a point and sit bottom of their group. In other matches of significance, Inter Milan defeated Benfica 1-0. Arsenal uh, were beaten last night in their contest. They went to France and lost to Lons by two goals to one. Real Madrid came from behind to beat Napoli in Italy by three goals to two. And there were goals galore, actually, in the tournament. PSV and Sevilla uh, shared four goals and the points there in Holland. So that's the Champions League update. Uh, all thanks to our friends at Irrigear, who offer expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. And that was the second of six match days in the Champions League before they get to the quarter finals. And Manchester United certainly have got a bit of work to do. All right, uh, the Leg Up is Australia's fastest-growing tipping service. Uh, let's get the latest for one of the big races tomorrow from Blake Johnston. G'day, fellas. Nice to back a few winners for our SEN listeners over the last few days. Tomorrow, we're going to Gosford, race seven, number eight, the King. I think this horse is ready to peak third up. First up, hit the line really sweetly, and then last start had every chance, but the race went really well, and he meets that winner one and a half kilos better here. Map's perfect. Visors go on. I reckon he's hard to hold out, fellas. Good luck if you follow. So there you go, Blake Johnston uh, with one that you may want to follow tomorrow. And uh, that's all thanks to Get a Leg Up on the Bookies with Australia's fast-growing tipping service, legup.com.au. Just on the Tempera Bedshed text machine, you can join us anytime, 0487 736 736. Bedshed are the experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. As we know, we've mentioned the Aaron Norton deal. He has signed a huge eight-year deal. He's a Western Bulldog for life. He has just uh, signed that today. The Western Bulldogs have just released a statement confirming that the uh, the man that was born around Melbourne and played his Auskick footy at Frankston before coming to the West with his family and playing a lot of his football and around Rockingham, and then to Peel Thunder, where, of course, he was taken in the 2017 draft by the Western Bulldogs, has just signed a mammoth deal that'll take him through until 2032. It's hard to imagine what the world will be like in 2032, uh, but he's done that deal. So uh, Aaron Norton, eight-year deal, and Spewey of Bustleton says Norton is going 
going to win the Dogs a grand final. Ridiculous contract. Okay, so in other words, Spiri doesn't agree with that. He just reckons it's a ridiculous contract as if uh, they need to lock away Aaron Norton because he's going to be the one that will propel the Western Bulldogs uh, to a premiership. Interesting. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but that's a significant story. Do you agree? You know, big deals. We've seen what's happened with Melbourne, haven't we? Clayton Oliver, who's been the big story today. Seven-year deal till 2030, first year of the deal, and now they want him out. So things do change, and I'm just wondering what's the point of such a significant deal. This is a Lance Buddy Franklin-type deal that's been bestowed on Aaron Norton. But we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. People criticise it. I remember when uh, Buddy Franklin got that 10-year deal. People thought, how ridiculous is that? He won't be able to make it because he'll be way into his mid-30s. How is he going to stay fit? How is he going to contribute? Well, a lot of those people, and, and maybe I was one of those that was pretty doubtful when Lance Buddy Franklin signed that 10-year deal for the Sydney Swans, that uh, whether he could make it to the finish line. But he certainly made it to the finish line, and he made it with uh, great acceleration to the point of view that he was still contributing right to the end of his career. What was sad also, and we were at the AFL Grand Final on the weekend, is that Buddy said his farewell with his wife and the couple of kids at the SCG, the final home game of the season. And they had the parade of retiring champions around the MCG. And Buddy thought, nah, this is not for me and decided not to attend. It would have been a nice, again, a nice attraction to what was a significant day for the AFL. I know they would have been very disappointed that one of the stars of the modern generation wasn't there to uh, basically get the adulation from the 100,000 people that would have given him a huge reception to say farewell and thanks for your contribution that you've made to the Australian Football League over many, many years. But uh, Buddy thought, nah, it's not for me. And uh, he decided not to be there. All right, uh, let's change tack to fraction. After the break, we're going to go to Mount Panorama. We're going to go to the mountain because Australian motor racing history will be made this weekend because the Bathurst 1000 turns 60. The running of the great race turned 60. And we're going to speak uh, to a man that is right across everything when it comes to motorsport, Matt McKeldon. He's the driver's seat host here on SEN. He's already on the mountain. He joins us next here on Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day WA. You're with Peter Vlahos on this Wednesday, all thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year. And, of course, our friends at Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, who have been serving WA for over 45 years. Our Aussie interview of the month, look for the logo, be sure it's Aussie. And there's no more Aussie event, I think, annually than the Bathurst 1000 that's been staged at Mount Panorama. I remember all the different name changes. I started watching it when it was called the Hardy Ferrado all those years ago. And maybe Matt McKeldon from the driver's seat host, uh, who's going to give us our Bathurst preview, because all the action gets underway tomorrow with practice, can maybe recall those days. Matt, thanks for your time. Pete, good afternoon, mate, and welcome to the, uh, well, it's my favourite week of the year, really, isn't it? <laughs> footy finals have all been played. And if you're not a footy guy like I'm not, all the, the footy 
all that represents to us is that we're one week away from the Bathurst 1000. So, as you say, kicking off tomorrow and it's the 50th anniversary. Yeah, amazing. As I said, I remember as a young boy getting up really early and watching it on TV and the likes of the late Peter Brock and Alan Moffat and was Ford v Holden. It's been a fantastic institution for so long here on the Australian sporting calendar. Can I ask you a couple of your great memories of this great race? Yeah, I reckon the one that probably stands out to me, whilst, yes, you look back on the history of Dick Johnson and Moffat and Brock and and, uh, and all the heroes of our sport, I reckon, I think it was about 2006, I reckon, when Lowndes, we lost Brock and uh, Lowndes had gone out um, uh, with the sticker on his helmet always with us. There was the institution of the, or the, the first year of the Brock Memorial Trophy, the Peter Brock Trophy, which is what they're all racing for. Uh, and of course, with Lowndes being Brock's protege, it was like he couldn't write it, could he? Like he couldn't win it, could he? And then uh, ended up going on to win that race. It was fabulous. It was emotional. It was a fitting tribute to the legend that we'd lost. Um, I was there that weekend, and I must say, I don't reckon I've uh, I've experienced an atmosphere like that. It was tinged with such sadness and tragedy. And then for Lowndes to go on and win it, it was just such an emotive event. Um, yeah, I look back on that one. I reckon that was probably the biggest one for me in, in my, uh, well, I don't know, 23 or 4 years that I've been going there. Yeah, no, it's a, a fantastic event. And I believe there could be a record crowd right across uh, the four days because of the special anniversary. And really the excitement that is starting to build, considering today there's been some crisis meetings. Now, people that haven't been across it, there's a bit of fire and brimstone amongst a couple of the teams. Pete, it's probably a little bit bigger than that. Um, look, I, I think to your first point, yes, I think we are going to see a massive crowd there this weekend, although there is a bit of rain around the place at the moment that might be stopping a few people. But the weather's looking good, and I think we're going to be okay for, for that. So there will be numbers. It's Bathus, right? We've been doing it with our sons and fathers and our grandfathers and our uncles and our mums and our families. We've been doing it for so long that... It's Bathurst weekend. You, you're just going to get a crowd there, particularly with the 60th anniversary and so many activities going on around that. But the reality is, Pete, if we look at the state of the sport right now, we are we are not in a great way. We are, as you rightly say, there were there are crisis. There was meant to be a crisis meeting this morning between Ford and Holden teams or GM teams. There is a clear disparity between both brands at the moment. The latest I understand it is that the um, the meeting was cancelled. So we go into tomorrow's first practice sessions with the Ford teams clearly both on the track from a results point of view uh, and in the opinions of the boardroom, there is a clear disparity between the two. There is an apparent fix in the system for the Ford teams. They have built and created those fixes to apply to the Mustang. But as we stand right now, the Chevrolet teams have come out in protest and said, well, you can't, do a, you can't do an aerodynamic change to one of our competitors not 24 hours prior to the race. So there is a lot going on. Um, as I say, the clear disparity in results this year. Ford have only won one race. Um, so they haven't got it right. They haven't got Gen 3 right. It was all fantastic in concept. But there are so many issues going on with supercars at the moment from a management point of view, perception point of view. Management's been silent, Pete. I've never mm. seen anything like it. We haven't heard from Shane Howard. 
who is the uh, who is the CEO of Supercars on anything. I mean, if there's a problem with the AFL, Gill stands up. If there's a if there's an NRL problem, you get Peter Val- uh, Peter Valandis stand out. We have not heard from the management of Supercars in any way, shape, or form into its current state. So there are a number of storylines going on this weekend, but the most positive of them, and the only positive of them, in my opinion, is that we're celebrating 60 years. But boy, oh boy, underneath, we have got some serious, serious issues with supercars in Australia. Uh, interesting. Uh, Matt McColden, uh, of course, uh, joining us to preview Bathurst. Let's hope it goes okay. But there is certainly a dark cloud hanging over the 60th anniversary of the running of the great race. Let's have a look at the race itself. As we mentioned, uh, practice tomorrow, practice and qualifying Friday, and we've got the top 10 shootout on Saturday before the 161 lap Bathurst 1000 on Sunday. Uh, the wild card reportedly is Shane Van Gisbergen and Richie Stanaway. Uh, Van Gisbergen, now... People are saying he's showing signs of distraction this season because uh, NASCAR and his NASCAR move is looming. Do you think that's a a fair call? Yeah, I think it's probably a fair call. I think that um, he's been certainly very vocal from the start of the season about um, his displeasure with Gen 3. He was uh, lambasted and publicly criticised by senior management for making those uh, comments public. He then obviously had that opportunity to go to NASCAR in the United States of Chicago and won on debut, which was extraordinary. Um, he has now signed a deal with NASCAR for next year. He will exit our series. Look, his body language when we were at the Sandown 500 a couple of weeks ago, he was he was a beaten favourite. Um, he didn't want to do any media. He wouldn't speak to anybody. Um, even the legend, New Zealand legend Greg Murphy came out publicly and said, I just don't understand where his head is at. He wasn't driving well. Now, subsequently, at the end of the 500, he ended up coming third, and so he had a couple of media interviews, and he was a bit more up and about after that. But, yeah, I'm not sure whether you can put it down to the distraction of his NASCAR exit or purely and simply that he just doesn't want to be here anymore, and so he just wants to get through the final few rounds and get his, uh, his backside, trackside to the United States. Mm. But it's, it's, it's been a difficult year for him, that's for sure. Yeah, interesting, interesting. You mentioned the Sandown 500 and the Erebus Eight Quartet look really hard to beat from all reports at Bathurst this weekend. Brock Feeney, Jamie Wincup combined for a pretty good victory at Sandown. Are they the favourites? Are they the team to beat this weekend? It's, it's really hard to pick who's going to win, particularly when when you go to Mount Panorama because it's 161 laps around the place and anything can happen and usually does, to coin a phrase. But certainly on the on the the amongst the favourite lists, absolutely Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup, they won the Sandown 500, Triple Eight Race Engineering. Of course, they've been a powerhouse for so long now. I mean, I don't think you can discount Shane Van Gisbergen and, and Richie Stanaway. Shane is such a talent. Um where I am struggling is probably to find a Ford winner or a, anyone from the Ford camp that might be able to uh, to be able to get up. If you're really going to back a roughie on that, maybe Chad Mostert and Lee Holdsworth. They've, of course, won uh, as a partnership together. Maybe Cam Waters and James Moffat. But the Erebus guy, Brady Kostecki, of course, leading the championship with only a couple of rounds to go. Erebus have, have done an amazing job this year. They were strong at the Sandown 500. Brody's in the form of his life at the moment. He's got a 
got a fantastic um, uh, co-driver in David Russell as well. So, look, I, I think what we're going to see this weekend is if the form of the year continues, it'll be a Chevrolet team that wins. And yes, it could absolutely be Erebus. It could be Triple Eight. The only thing that the new Gen 3 car has delivered is that it has given an opportunity for some of the perhaps outlier teams like a Brad Jones Racing or something like that to be able to jag a result. Um, But as I say, I I think we're going to certainly see a Chevrolet victory. And if we do see a Ford victory, it will be one hell of a race because something will have had to have happened for a Ford to get up this year. Good on you, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Really looking forward to it. Of course, you're the host of the driver's seat here on the SEN Network, giving us uh, the Bathurst 1000 preview. Thanks for your time, and we'll keep in touch. Enjoy the weekend at Mount Panorama. Thanks, mate. mate. You too. Enjoy. Happy Bathurst week. Good on you. Matt McKeldin, join us. Uh, And it's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it's Aussie. That's basically it for me today. Just before I go, don't forget that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game. Now, it's worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12th and you're in with a chance to win. TNCs do apply. Hope you've enjoyed the program. Thanks to Jimmy and also Brian for assisting with the show. We'll be back again, uh, firstly with the run home with Marto between three and five and continue on with Sports Day WA from five o'clock. All thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. Have a great Wednesday night. See you tomorrow.